Do you have questions about living with diabetes in South Africa? You're in very good company. Turns out we all do. Welcome to South Africans with Diabetes. I'm Bridget McNulty and today we're going to be answering your questions to help you live a healthy, happy life with diabetes. This podcast is brought to you by Lily. First, a disclaimer. I am not a medical expert. Please discuss any changes you want to make to your diabetes treatment with your doctor. The language of diabetes. I'm not going to lie, I have resisted doing this episode for some time, and I'll tell you why. I knew that once we had this conversation, we would need to make some pretty big changes. And I am lazy at heart, and I didn't want to have to make those changes, even though I knew they were the right thing to do. What am I talking about? I'm mainly talking about the word diabetic, to be honest. It's not cool. It should be person with diabetes or person living with diabetes. I know that. Only I don't mind being called a diabetic. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I have a tattooed on my arm, type 1 diabetic on insulin. And we called our Facebook page Diabetic South Africans 10 years ago when we didn't know better. And we called this podcast Diabetic South Africans last year when we kind of did know better. And I'm very resistant to change, but no more. You know, when I realized it was so important to change the language we use, it was last year I was editing South Africa's first diabetes charter for the Diabetes Summit. And I replaced all the references to diabetic with person living with diabetes. And it is more of a mouthful, which I think is kind of the complaint from people why I add more words in when you don't have to. But it changes the flavor completely. And then we changed all the references to patients, to people with diabetes, and all of a sudden, it feels as if the blame shifts. It's, it's kind of transformative that one word can make such a difference. So instead of pigeonholing diabetic patients for being non-compliant, we're talking about the lived experience of people with diabetes and the challenges we face every day. This stuff is so important. So we have renamed the podcast and Facebook page to South Africans with Diabetes, and we are going to learn more so that we can do better. Are you ready? I'll take that as a yes. I can think of no better person to open our eyes to why the language of diabetes matters than Renza Shibidia. She is the manager of Type 1 Diabetes and Communities at Diabetes Australia and has taught me so much about diabetes and language in our various interactions online. Renza, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Bridget, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for, for the invitation. So I hope you're ready. I have some questions. South Africa is pretty much at step one in the diabetes and language journey. And don't even get me started on the diabetes and imagery journey. We have so much to learn. Like literally there is nothing you could say that we already know. So let's dive in. Why does the language of diabetes matter? Oh, look, it's not just language, it's communication. So it does include images, as you've said. Um, it includes tone. It includes, of course, it does include the words. But it, it really is about the meaning and, and the attitudes mm. that language, um, I guess, imparts when we use certain mm. words. So I was really interested to hear your introduction there because... One of the things that I'm going to say that's probably going to come as a bit of a surprise maybe is that the, the word, so you, you, there were three words that you said there mm. that I think are really important. So you spoke about diabetics and not using mm. that term anymore and patients and using people mm. instead and non-compliant and you just mm. don't use that. Of yeah. all of those words, the one that I think let's just put it to bed now and deal with it, 
and then we'll talk about others, is diabetic versus person with diabetes. That is like the hot ticket one. You know what, it's the one that annoys me most because it's the one that we get so bogged down in and then we forget about the rest of it and why the rest is so important. So Mm. as a person with diabetes, you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. Let's say that again because that's the bit that people get so upset about that. I know. So as a person with diabetes, call yourself whatever you want. I wrote a blog post called Call Me Blossom because I just got so (laughs) sick of people saying, but I want to be called this. I'm like, call yourself that. No one has said that a person with diabetes needs to use a certain word or certain language. It's not about us. We can use whatever language we want. So let's park that one and just say, you want it literally, you want to tattoo it to your body, go and tattoo it to your body. (laughs) Whichever one works for you, that's fine. I Um, mean, you didn't want to have to tattoo three extra words, right? Because if I said type one person living with diabetes, that person living with diabetes, yeah, that's three extra words. It was very painful. I know. And there's only so much skin real estate, especially when you've got devices to then also consider. (laughs) So, the diabetic versus person with diabetes thing, we have now spoken about it and we're not going to talk Wonderful. about it again now while we're talking about Good. language. Yes. Bec- but there are, are other words and there are reasons why we need to really consider the way that we use language and that we communicate. Mm. So a lot of people think it is just about political correctness mm. and it's like, you know, it's really woke, you need to use person-centred language and blah, 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 and that's why. And my attitude to that is, is don't use language that's going to offend people. I mean, that's not just diabetes. That's anywhere. Don't use yeah. words that are going to upset people. And yeah. that's kind of important. Um, but it's about so much more than just that. Okay. And yeah. so I think that it's once we start to talk about the trickle down effect and, and why language is important and it's not just about words that people start mm. to sit up and go, oh, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. So. Yeah. I think that we can all agree that diabetes has a bit of an image problem. People love to make jokes about (laughs) diabetes and blame people with diabetes and look at this beautiful cake. It's diabetes on a plate. Ha, hilarious. Never heard that one before. Um, So uh, part of the reason that we need to really work to change the way that people are thinking uh, is so that we stop that, that we we do something about this image problem and people understand that diabetes is really complex and it's really serious Mm. and Living Mm. with diabetes is hard work and, quite frankly, I would like a medal. And I think that that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about language is because I want people to respect and understand just how tough living with diabetes is about. But that image problem has gone on to mean that we have fewer research dollars coming our way. So if you actually look at research dollars for diabetes as compared with other health conditions, we get less. If you were to ask a person walking down the street what they think is the most serious health condition and you list a few, diabetes will be down the list. So in South Africa, diabetes is the number one killer of women. A non-lethal condition that is manageable is the number one killer of women. No research goes towards it. HIV gets all the attention. And it's so interesting you talk about the image problem. That is yeah. probably what the root cause of it, is that no one thinks diabetes is serious. Everyone That's thinks right. you give it to yourself. And so there's this attitude of like, wow, I mean, if it's the top killer of women, it's because the women are not exercising and eating the wrong kind of food. But it's this urgent, serious problem that no one is paying any attention to. So that's all over the world. It's not just in South Africa. No, it's everywhere. And you know what? When you're talking about the fact that it's the number one killer of women, there's also health systems that are 
really not all that well set up for women in a lot of second yeah. and men. So, so I always say yeah. that next. I'm like number one yeah. in women, but if you don't care about number that, let's talk men. about the men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and that's a really important point. Is that you know it is serious. Clearly, it's serious. But can I just say, yeah. you know, you you mentioned HIV there, and a massive shout out to the HIV community because this is, is something. Well. Talk about a well organized and um, you know, and it's not that everybody agrees. It's just that they've done a really really good job of communicating um, yeah. and really undoing a lot of those misconceptions about HIV yeah. that, that was seen to be true and gospel and we all had to believe it sort of 25 years ago. Yeah. Massive, massive kudos to the people who were doing that. And they were almost belligerent about it too, which I appreciate. Yep. They were just like, no, yes. we're not going to put up with this. Like exactly. HIV stigma, yep. it's not a thing. So yeah, I agree. Absolutely. We need to get a little more of that energy. What yeah. fascinates yeah. me so much is that when I was looking through the Diabetes and Language stuff Diabetes Australia has done, I always think it's just the media we have to be worried about. So when I was thinking diabetes and language, we're going to have a campaign later in the year, we're going to approach the media. But then I started reading more and I was like, oh no, like healthcare is a huge problem oh, and yeah. government is a huge problem. So, mm -hmm. so of the three, are they all kind of media, healthcare, government, are those the big three and are they all equally a problem or how do you see them? I think they, and, and add, add community, like the general yeah. community into there as well. But they're getting messaging from the media, I guess. So that's yeah. So I think that they are all important for different reasons. Um, but so so I think that that's one of the things actually that I really like about that language position statement that we relaunched mm. last year mm. was that there were examples for each different audience and and researchers yeah. as well and saying you know this is probably what you use because it's what you've always used. But look. Yeah using exactly the same number of words so it's not necessarily going to be a lot more um, words and space on a page or time in a consultation. You can still get the message across. In fact, you can get it across far more effectively and far more factually and far more engagingly, you know, yeah. far more engaging way. And that's something that I think people suddenly go, oh, okay, so it's actually not going to be much more work because that's, you know, no one wants to do the work. I get that. We're also busy. No. We don't want to add extra things. So when we start to point out how actually it's just a change in mindset um, and it will take time, that's okay. And if you feel like you're too afraid to do it because you're going to make a mistake, it doesn't matter. Just keep yeah. going and keep pushing through. And um, I loved that attitude yeah. too. Because I don't think that oh, yeah. gets said a lot in like, you mentioned woke earlier. And I, I think sometimes yeah. when there's like an, a new movement that comes in and it's just like, this is unacceptable. You have to stop using yeah. this language. It feels very black and white. Like if you yes. make a mistake, there will be repercussions. Mm. And I think it's so important to say, this is a journey we're all on. We're figuring out what is most helpful and what reduces stigma the most because that's, right. that's at the root cause of it, right? Like all of this yes. language stuff is so that people with diabetes can be seen as humans first rather than walking yeah. illnesses. That's exactly right. A, a walking, you know, a walking health condition that they brought on themselves. Yes, exactly right. We want to change that. And that is what the the whole thing is about. It's really not about, you know, monitoring the words and, and wrapping people over mm. the knuckles, but it is yeah. highlighting why it matters and how things can change. So yeah. you're right, in that healthcare setting, it's it's critically important because we've all heard stories or we've experienced those stories ourselves yeah. where we've walked out of a clinic appointment feeling worse coming yeah. out than we felt going in. We felt yeah. that we haven't been listened to. We felt that we've been blamed if something's going wrong. We feel like it's our fault. Yeah. Uh, and and nobody nobody should feel like that. You know, not, yeah. we're going into into a healthcare appointment 
because we want to improve our health or, or maintain yeah. a healthy lifestyle or whatever it is. Um, and so to have a feeling where, when you leave of, you know, want to, bursting into tears and, and not mm-hmm. wanting to go back, and that's the story that I keep hearing from people is I just yeah. felt so horribly judged and stigmatized that I really didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back and I haven't been back. I didn't go back for years. So Ugh. that's And it not seems great, so really. linked that so much of the language seems so linked to to burnout and and trying to prevent burnout too, which I think yes. is so important. Like that's that's the whole idea, right? Is that we're not pass failing diabetes. We're all just yeah. living with it. And exactly. I want to read you mentioned the position statement and I think it's so beautiful. I just want to read a little bit of it. Sure. So Diabetes Australia created this position statement. This was a, a refresh of one from a decade ago. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we launched yeah. the first one in September 2011 and then we relaunched it in about September last year. And it's, it's specifically about language and diabetes. And here's the description. I think it's so powerful. Our language matters. The words we choose and the way we use them influence, persuade and affect how people view the world. Words do more than reflect reality. They create reality. Words are powerful. They can create a culture in which people feel valued, understood, and supported, or one in which people feel misunderstood, undermined, stigmatized, and excluded. Words can express conscious or unconscious bias. People with diabetes, their families, and people at risk of diabetes need and deserve communications that are clear and accurate, respectful and inclusive, and free from judgment and bias. I mean, can we get a round of yeah. applause? I love this. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. how is it received? Did you have to, to fight the media and the healthcare and government to make the necessary changes or, or were they quite open to it? Oh, at first it was a bit of an uphill battle um, mm. because what was happening is that we absolutely would be sitting there um, and, and I think when we rolled it out, um, there were quite a number of presentations that we did for healthcare professionals because we felt that that was a really good and important place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some pushback and there was some reluctance to accept what was being said. Um, but by and large, it was just people not realising, I think, how impactful language could be. Um, yeah. So one of the things that was really important that went alongside the development of the position paper was some research to back it up. So oh, the, the beauty around that was that, you know, Diabetes Australia may have launched this position paper 10 years ago or 10 and a half years ago now, but we didn't invent that this was an issue. This has been something that yeah. people with diabetes have been talking about for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so easy to be dismissed if it was just people with diabetes just seen as saying, well, this is my experience or I've heard this um, mm-hmm. because it was all seen as very anecdotal and, you know, well, what's the evidence? And, you know, yeah. sadly, I think that I actually think that should be enough evidence if enough people are saying it, but it, should be, it yeah. simply wasn't. Um, but yeah. suddenly then to have some research that had been conducted by the Australian Centre for Behavioural Research in Diabetes and Diabetes mm-hmm. Australia had um, actually commissioned this for the position statement, um, the way that I explained it when was that I would get up and wave my hands around and talk about why it was important and then yeah. um, Jane Spate, who is the director for the Centre of Behavioural Research in Diabetes, um, would get up and say, here's the evidence to support what she's saying and suddenly it became really hard to ignore exactly and you know I've learned over time that 
and I've spoken about this heaps recently because I think the best way to explain why that's important is when you're trying to tell a story and convince people and bring them along, you've got to mm. win their hearts and you've got to win their minds. So I was mm. all about the heart and Jane mm. would step up and she'd be there with the mind. I'm like, okay, well, this yeah. is a far more rounded picture now so that you can understand why it's affecting an individual. But here is some research to show how, um, how much it impacts the community um, yeah. and also what you can do to address it so having solutions I think was also really important but it was a a significant sample of people with diabetes globally who were invited to participate in an online survey and um, and there were thousands of people with diabetes who were involved it wasn't you know for people that I were my mates that I handpicked because I knew what they were going to say it was you know people globally and you know the thing that came from that though was that then we had to also accept that some of the things that we'd been saying which very much was around you know that diabetes person with that diabetic person with diabetes thing I think when we looked at it the breakdown was it was about 50 50 in terms of people who prefer to be called diabetic as compared with person with diabetes so we felt that it was really important then to highlight that and say you need to listen to what people are saying. You need to go back yes. to them. It's not a blanket, don't use this word, use this word instead yes. when we're speaking to health professionals or the media. What we would say, though, and let's just for a minute talk about that issue again, just for a second, is that whilst people um, will say, I don't mind being called a diabetic, there are a lot of people who say, I really do mind that. Whereas yeah. no one seems to really mind being called a person with diabetes. Exactly. So that's what we're saying. So that's what we would say to health professionals or to health centres or to the media. Yeah. If you say this, 50% of the people might get their back up if you say diabetic. But if you say the other one, no one will notice. It, no, no one, one cares. will bat an eyelid and no one will care. So do the stuff that's not going to offend. Like that. that's the easy bit here. Do the stuff that's not going to offend. So, yeah, that's um, okay. yeah. that's where we're at. So what I loved is that um, there's a whole section in this position statement, which, which I'll share with our listeners, about choosing how we communicate about people, which is just what you're saying now. And yeah. I loved it so much because a lot of it was just very obvious. Like mm-hmm. one of the lines was, instead of diabetic, try person. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's so intense because yeah. like no one is even thinking about this. The fact that you had to write that is, is so intense. <laughs> and then things like instead of testing glucose, try checking I loved instead of unmotivated, try has other priorities right now. That's just, oh, I, yeah. I feel a wash of relief going over me when I read that. And it seems like a lot of the language can help, like we said earlier, with specifically preventing burnout because it lifts the blame and the shame from the person with diabetes and, and kind of casts it in a broader light. Was, there, was burnout a big focus of this? Yeah, always. You know, we're always wanting to minimise the fact that people with diabetes have so much on their plate already and that can lead to burnout and to diabetes distress. So, uh, yes, of course, absolutely. But um, I think that the thing in there as well that's, you know, really interesting is, you know, how, how you can't blame someone for getting burnt out if they're constantly thinking testing glucose levels, testing, okay. testing, testing. Am I in Just control? Just imagine... 
Yeah, my my kid is doing her final year at school at the moment and, you know, mm. everything's about leading up to exams and all of this stuff. And it's like it's this constant pressure cooker. So if you're living mm. with diabetes for 5, 10, 15, 50, uh, you know, 80 years, whatever, and you're constantly hearing, you know, I'm being tested, I'm being tested, I'm testing my blood sugar and mm. it, it it's just a really small change that people have said that makes a really big difference. And, you mm. know, where I first learnt this actually was before we'd even launched the position statement. When I was working for a different diabetes organisation and we used to run camps for kids and um, I, I remember going and sitting there um, one day and it was just before a meal and these were all young kids and they were all checking their glucose levels and um, and it was really interesting the way the glucose levels were spoken about. So glucose levels were high or low. Mm-hmm. That was it. So so. And, and you could see the way that um, clearly the health professionals had been worded up on this and that was the language of the camp. And mm-hmm. and I remember seeing this kid say, getting their um, glucose level and it was high and they went, oh, that's really bad. And and the diabetes educator went, well, it's high. It's higher than, you know, we'd like it to be, but we can do something about that. That's what's really great about getting numbers. Um, we look at it, we know what we need to do, and then we can do it. Mm-hmm. It's it's that That's all it is. It's just a bit high. And it just, like this kid, the look of relief over this kid's face, and I just thought, wow, if this kid every time they're looking at a glucometer or looking at your CGM or whatever, you're thinking good, bad, moral compass right there, that reflects the the person that I am as well, that Mm. is a lot of pressure to be putting on you every minute of every day instead of just looking at a number and going, oh, it's a bit high, I should probably have a bit more insulin or it's a bit high but, you know, I've got insulin on board, it's going to come down. Yeah. Okay, move on. I had this yeah. revelation last year because we did a, a whole thing on diabetes and depression and we've done other work on, on behavior change, but specifically on kind of unplugging the it's possible to be a perfect diabetic myth. So many of us attach blame to highs, but not really to yeah. lows. And so then I started looking at it very closely and I was making rice in the microwave one day and it overboiled, as microwave rice inevitably does when, when I do it, because I don't know how to do the water to rice ratio. And there was no part of me that was like, oh, come on, you miscalculated. Do better. Why are you failing? Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, but that was just a calculation. I looked at yeah. the rice and the water, I made a calculation, and I made the wrong calculation, and then I cleaned up the mess. Yep. Why don't I have that same attitude when I make a miscalculation with my insulin dosage? And so yeah. that helped me to switch things and it, and it's like taken the sting out of the reaction. But I find it so strange that so many of us have those reactions to mm. numbers. And I think it's because of the way we were indoctrinated when we were first diagnosed. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and you know, it doesn't help when there are color-coded charts where you've got oh, red is this or, or, you know, I mean, my gosh, I remember, and I, gee, I was angry about this, um, when I saw at a pediatric hospital an HbA1c chart that oh. was graded A plus, Ooh. A, B, B. Oh. Like, who is grading oh. HbA1cs? I was so angry. I, in fact, it was one of those moments where I, I, was, I was so furious that I um, bashed out this very long Twitter thread <laughs> It was probably about 17 or 20 tweets or something. So bang, 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 and hit tweet and off they all went. And then I read it back after and I'm like, this is one of those moments where you probably should have walked away and come back. But, I, but then I wrote about it afterwards for Diabetogenic and I thought, no, you know what? 
that fury is the oh. fury of people with of the people with diabetes who have walked in and been told that they are an F because of oh. what their HbA1c is, and the parents and who are freaking out already because they don't know what they're doing. Absolutely, and they're being told they're failing at their child's health. Yes, it's even worse. Oh, yes, even worse. Yeah. I mean, it's just so you know that's the sort of we're trying to just reduce that constant judgment and that burden that becomes so heavy it really becomes heavy and relentless hey so now the big question where do we start you've already done international research so can we just use that as our science backup yeah well this is a good thing you're not starting at square one because so much has happened before so Mm. you know and, and this is the thing that that I think even though it sort of seems like Diabetes Australia started at zero, we weren't. We were starting already because we were, you know, learning from people with diabetes who'd been talking about this Mm. for so long. So there's so much stuff out there that you don't need to go and do the research. You don't Mm. need to go and do the research yourself. You don't even need to write your own position statement because you can rejig one that's already there and Mm. use. you can rewrite it if you want and just put your own logo on it and credit Diabetes Australia or one of the other ones. There are there are now position statements from all and guidance statements and, and whatever else they're calling them from all over the world. Amazing. Find your favourite one, send a message Yay. to the authors and say, can I use it? And then start to have the conversation. So this is a really yeah. good start. This is absolutely a good start. So, But I think the biggest thing is you need to build allies and that is really mm. important because one of the reasons that this has been so hugely I guess successful but it's also become a bit of a juggernaut is because we've been able to collect people along the way who have gone oh Mm. yeah this is a really big issue so you know in the US there were these great diabetes educators they went Mm. yeah we need to do something so they got that going there and then in the UK there was a group of really vocal advocates and then there was a health professional who also you know really drove it from that policy perspective and so suddenly Mm. there's Mm. that group as well Um, so when you've got that um, momentum of people actually saying, yep, we're coming on board this. Um, But the beautiful thing is, is that there's so much already there. So you're not a lone voice. And when someone says to you, this is a load of rubbish, you can go, really? Because here's 10 years of history that would suggest otherwise. And um, you've got something to point to that, that can show that. And I think if anyone actually reads it, they won't say this is a load of rubbish. I think it's easy to dismiss if you haven't read anything if you've read like a one-liner then you could be like oh come on this is so unnecessary but as soon as you read even a paragraph you're like oh no wait this is actually very necessary I just want to briefly touch on imagery because I mean oh yeah if we're not doing well with language we are doing badly with imagery I was at the pharmacy the other day and there was a wall of information leaflets for various conditions with a picture on each and the one for diabetes was a plate of sugary sour worms like spaghetti being forked up with a fork so we right. generally will have a pile of sugar actually a, a, like a pile of sugar on a plate accompanying anything in the media or a burger and chips or some kind of fast food or someone at an unhealthy weight often with their head chopped off those are like yep. the options that they're all using so oh, imagery did I you just include we... that or yeah how, how you're also that? forgetting the person from behind so how dehumanizing is this we don't get to see faces you know you're right it's someone hoeing into a burger and you can see the burger and maybe their mouth but you can't see them um so isn't that a great way to dehumanize people you know let's let and you know what hey when there are no faces and no humans and people behind it 
it's it's a lot easier to point your finger and poke fun yeah, at people. Totally. So um, that's exactly right. The imagery is appalling. It is absolutely mm. appalling. And it's also incorrect. It doesn't tell the story. So yeah. sugar doesn't cause diabetes. So what? <sighs> why are you putting a plate of sour worms with a fork in it like what what's that got to do with it and eating a hamburger is not going to give you diabetes and you know so all of these things are really really incorrect and also Mm. it's incredibly stigmatizing because what you're saying is well that overweight person who is eating a hamburger they deserve to be sick because clearly they don't care about themselves they're slothful and they're you know it's it it look at you know it's all about gluttony it's it's just constantly feeding into this yeah. um, stigmatizing attitude about what diabetes is and who people with diabetes are. So I think that um, it's it is really important that we talk images just as much as we talk words. Yeah. And especially in South Africa, actually, because I, I don't know what the situation is in Australia, but we're such a multiracial country Same. that image yep. choice is very loaded. So like everyone will try and go for this like happy caramel color in between that won't really offend anyone and doesn't really mm-hmm. represent anyone. But they're too scared to do that for diabetes because it would be pointing a finger. And so I think that's yeah. why they're going for like silhouettes or food or you're right, like the back of someone yeah. and you can't really see what yeah. color they are. Oh my goodness, this stuff makes me so cross. Okay, we got some work to do. But you know what? It's also the images that we use around complications because that's the yeah. thing that I remember from my diagnosis. I was diagnosed 24 years ago and I remember the day I was diagnosed showing these pictures. So I was shown mm. what an eye um, with retinopathy looked like, just the eye with retinopathy. And I'm like, gosh, I, I don't know what diabetes is. So why are you showing <laughs> me it looks like an eye with a bit of red star? I don't know what that is. Yeah. And and somebody on dialysis. And again, I'm like, well, what, what what's oh going gosh. on with that kidney? I've got no idea. And an amputated mm-hmm. limb, not attached to a person, just an amputated, you know, just oh showing gosh. from like a knee. And that was like, and, and I just remember thinking at the time, well, it doesn't make sense, but God, I'm really scared now all of a sudden. And I was I terrified. And so, you know, thinking about the images that we're using when we're, you know, just having a body part again, is dehumanizing because you know what? Yes, people with diabetes experience higher rates of amputations, but, hey, the rest of the person is at play here too. So show all of them and think about how their mind is feeling and how emotionally they're feeling and and everything else. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a really important conversation to have as well is about the images and and how diabetes Mm. is um, represented pictorially as well as using words. Mm. Fascinating. i got one last question. Which we always ask, what makes your life sweet? Oh, well, two things. One, uh, I'm a baker in my spare time. So literally whatever it is that I've just pulled out of the oven makes me very happy. And the neighbours love that too. But, of course, (laughs) mostly it is my beautiful family. So my my absolutely divine husband who is a musician and um, we've been together for, well, actually I was diagnosed six months before we got married and we still got married, so that was pretty cool. And we have a 17-year-old daughter who is the life and joy of our life and we have a menagerie of a couple of dogs and a cat as well the cat totally <laughs> rules all of us and she's only a kitten so she's just learning to do that but um it's certainly you know an incredible family and beautiful friends mm. and and that support network that I have around me all the time oh Renzo thank you so much for sharing your experience and and all your wisdom it, I can't tell you what a relief it is to know that there's a path already laid out when it comes to yeah. diabetes and language and we can just start building the South African version I love it that's right that's absolutely right. And you have a whole community around the world who will be very, very happy to help out. 
Oh, wonderful. Thank you. That is such a relief. I want to invite all our listeners to, to share your thoughts on diabetes and language. I'm so curious. I think I feel like we're going to have a bunch of converts now because we've actually explained <laughs> that it's not just about individual words. Um, so please share your thoughts and your experiences uh, on Facebook, South Africans with Diabetes, on Instagram, sweetlife.org.za, or head to our website, sweetlife.org.za, for more diabetes information and advice. Thank you so much for joining us, Renza, and for taking the time from the other side of the world. It is so appreciated. I just have had so much fun chatting with you, and I can't wait to see what happens with the Language Matters Movement South Africa. How exciting. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today and invite you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It's such a pleasure to be able to spend this time with you, and I really appreciate it. I'm sure your diabetes management appreciates it too. Big thanks to Lily for sponsoring this season of South Africans with Diabetes. Lily is the leading provider of insulin in South Africa, supporting people with diabetes through high-quality, affordable products. Lily unites caring with discovery to create medicines that make life better for people around the world. This podcast comes to you from Sweet Life Diabetes Community. We are South Africa's largest online diabetes community, a space to connect with other people living with diabetes, share tips, and offer advice. Our website, sweetlife.org.za, has all the diabetes info you need, all in one place. We're like the diabetes Wikipedia of South Africa. We offer expert advice that's easy to understand and written just for you. Whether you're looking for the latest news and updates on diabetes in South Africa, tips to manage your condition better, meal plans and diabetes-friendly recipes, exercise suggestions, or how to lose weight, we have an expert answer for you. We also have free ebooks to download, a diabetes cookbook, diabetes guidebook, and a healthy food guide. Most importantly, we have a community of people with diabetes who understand what it's like to live with the condition every day. We're all in this together.